philosophy or prophecy, what was the first commandment? The first, that is, of the Ten Commandments. On this, there are two fascinating disagreements in Judaism. One was between Moses Maimonides and the author of the Halachot Gedolot, written in the period of the Goonim, probably by Rav Shimon Kayara in the 8th century, the book that for the first time enumerated in a systematic way the 613 commands. The other was between Maimonides and the poet and thinker Yehuda Halevi, and these were two different arguments, and they touched, as we'll see, on fundamentals of faith. The first is simply this. Maimonides counts the opening line of the Ten Commandments, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, as a positive command to believe in God. The Halachot Gedolot doesn't count it as a command at all. Why not? Nachmanides, in defense of the Halachot Gedolot, speculates that its author counted among the 613 commands only the specific laws enjoining us to do this or avoid doing that. The commands are rules of behavior, not items of faith. Faith in the existence of God or acceptance of the kingship of God is not itself a command but a prelude to and a presupposition of the commands. He quotes a passage from the Mechilta. You shall have no other gods beside me. Why is this says, said, asked the Mechilta? Because it says, I am the Lord your God. To explain this by way of a parable, a king of flesh and blood entered a province. His servant said to him, issue decrees for the people. He, however, told them no. When they accept my sovereignty, I will issue decrees, for if they do not accept my sovereignty, how will they carry out my decrees? According to Nachmanides, the Halachot Gedolot must have believed that the verse, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, isn't itself a command, but a statement of why the Israelites should be bound by the will of God. He'd rescued them, liberated them, and brought them to safety. The first verse of the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments, in other words, isn't a law. It's a statement of fact, a reason why the Israelites should accept God's sovereignty. Thanks to the archaeological discoveries about which I wrote in the previous Covenant and Conversation, we now know that the Biblical Covenant has the same literary structure as ancient Near Eastern political treaties. These treaties usually follow a six-part pattern of which the first elements, three elements, were number one, the preamble, identifying the initiator of the treaty, number two, a historical review summarizing the past relationship between the parties, and number three, the stipulations, namely the terms and conditions of the covenant. Seen in this context, the first verse of the Ten Commandments is a highly abridged form of one and two. I am the Lord your God is the preamble, it tells us, who is initiating the covenant, who brought you out of the land of, uh, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, is the historical review, the background to the covenant. The verses that follow are the stipulations, or as we would call them, the commands. If so, then the halachot gedolot, as understood by Nachmanides, was surely correct in seeing the verse as an introduction to the commands, not a command in its own right. And that is the first disagreement. The second was between Maimonides and Judah Halevi, namely what 
exactly do we believe in when we believe in God? For Maimonides, the first command is to believe in God, creator of heaven and earth. This is how he puts it. The basic principle of all basic principles and the pillar of all sciences is to realize that there's a first being who brought every existing thing into being. If it could be supposed that he didn't exist, it would follow that nothing else could possibly exist. If, however, it was supposed that all other things were non-existent, he alone would still exist. To acknowledge this truth is a positive command, as it says, I am the Lord your God. Judah Halevi disagreed. Halevi was not only the greatest of medieval Hebrew poets, he also wrote one of Judaism's theological masterpieces, the Guzari. It's framed as a dialogue between a rabbi and the king of the Khazars. And historically, the Khazars were a Turkish people who, between the 7th and 11th centuries, ruled a considerable area between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, including southern Russia, northern Caucasus, eastern Ukraine, western Kazakhstan, and northwestern Uzbekistan. Many Jewish traders and refugees lived there, and in 838, the Khazar king Bulan converted to Judaism after supposedly holding a debate between representatives of the Jewish, Christian, and Muslim faiths. The Arabic writer Dimashki writes that the Khazars, having encountered the Jewish faith, found it better than their own and accepted it. Khazaria thus became spiritually as well as geographically an independent third force between the Muslim Caliphate and the Christian Byzantine Empire. After their conversion, the Khazar people used Jewish personal names, spoke and wrote in Hebrew, were circumcised, had synagogues and rabbis, studied the Torah and Talmud, and observed the Jewish festivals. The Khazari is Judah Halevi's overarching account of Judaism cast in the form of an imagined conversation between the king and a rabbi that led to the king's conversion. In it, Halevi draws a portrait diametrically opposed to Maimonides' account. Judaism for Halevi is not philosophical, but counter-philosophical. It's not about abstract concepts, but about concrete experiences, the taste of slavery, the feeling of liberation, the realization on the part of God, on the part of the people, that God had heard their cry and set them free. The God of Abraham is not the God of Aristotle. The prophets were not philosophers. Philosophers found God in physics and metaphysics, but the prophets found God in history. This is how Halevi's rabbi explains his faith to the king of the Khazars. I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt with signs and miracles, who fed them in the desert and gave them the land after having brought them through the sea and the Jordan in a miraculous way. He goes on to emphasize that God's opening words in the revelation at Mount Sinai were not, I am the Lord your God, creator of heaven and earth, but I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The covenant God made with the Israelites at Mount Sinai wasn't rooted in the ancient past of creation, but in the recent past of the Exodus. What is at stake in this difference between Maimonides and Halevi? At the heart of Judaism is a twofold understanding of the nature of God and his relationship to the universe. On the one hand, God is creator of the universe and maker of the human person in his image. This aspect of God is universal. It is accessible to anyone, Jew or Gentile. 
Aristotle arrived at it through logic and metaphysics. For him, God was the prime mover who set the universe into motion today. Many people reach the same conclusion through science. The universe is too finely tuned for the emergence of life to have come into being through chance. Some arrive at it not through logic or science, but through a simple sense of awe and wonder. As Wittgenstein said, not how the world is, but that it is, is mystical. This aspect of God is called by the Torah Elohim. But there's a quite different aspect of God which predominates throughout most of Tanakh. This is God as he is involved in the fate of one family, one nation, the children of Israel. He intervened in their history. He made a highly specific covenant with them at Sinai, not at all like the general one he made with Noah and all humanity after the flood. The Noahide commandment with all humanity is simple and basic and involved a mere seven commands. The Sinai covenant, by contrast, is highly articulated, covering almost every aspect of life. This aspect of God is signaled by the use of the four-letter name for which we traditionally substitute the word Hashem. Maimonides, the philosopher, emphasized the universal metaphysical aspect of Judaism and the eternal unchanging existence of God. Judah Halevi, the poet, was more attuned to the particularistic and prophetic dimension of Judaism, the role of God in the historical drama of the Jewish people. Maimonides was the greatest halachist and philosopher of the Middle Ages, but it's hard to avoid the conclusion that here at least the halachot gedolot and Judah Halevi were both closer to the plain sense of the text. Even the greatest thinker isn't right all the time, which is why Judaism remains a conversation scored for many voices, each with its own insight into the infinite inflections of the divine word.